0: On this episode of the Wild Rose Vet Podcast.
1: If you go outside and lay in the snow when your bees are pooping, you too can be covered in poop. <laughs> you too can be pooped on. <laughs> yeah.
0: This is the Wild Rose Vet Podcast with Dr. Savannah Howes-Smith.
2: So today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about honeybees, and potentially other types of bees. And I'm really excited to introduce that today I'm chatting with Elise Watson. And Elise is a fantastic beekeeper that I know from Calgary, Alberta. And she is a force to be reckoned with, in my opinion, in the beekeeping industry in Alberta. She has a lot of innovative ideas, a lot of fantastic work that's being done around the province with urban beekeeping, with small-scale, as well as uh, influencing the opinions of large-scale beekeepers. I think, and so I'm really happy that we get to talk about bees with her today. So how are you doing today, Elise? Oh, so good, Savannah. It's so <laughs> good to be on here with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super happy you agreed to come talk about bees because it's, uh, it's something that I think is on everybody's mind these days. I find that talking about bees and different uh, uh, different types of bees, uh, honeybees, wild bees, everything is really a hot topic these days. I mean, honestly, like it used to be I would try to strike up conversations about insects of different sorts and it, the conversation would fall flat. But nowadays, everybody's super keen to hear about it and... and and talk about different types of insects. So, um, one cool thing I really like about bees in particular um, is how long humans have been interacting with honeybees in particular just over over thousands of years. I mean, it's one of the few insects that I think we have a very well-documented history with. Um, I mean, uh, all the way back, like, there's there's Egyptian carvings of people collecting honey from hives and everything like that. And then there's those, um, like, there's still traditional practices practice. around, yeah, yeah. And there's yeah. traditional practices around the world that have been done for, like, thousands of years, which I think is absolutely fascinating. There's not very many insects that have such a close relationship with people, um, and I, I wonder if that might be part of why uh, people are, are often drawn towards bees and honeybees, and, and find them particularly interesting.
1: Well, I I also agree. I think there's a lot of people who desperately desire to connect with nature and commune mm-hmm. with nature in some way, shape, or form. Whether it's like walking through a meadow, or hiking, or actually, you know, getting deeper into livestock management or animal husbandry of some kind. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is I always joke about people when they're talking about husbandry and managing of, you know, taking on the responsibility of another animal. So I laugh that with bees, you never have to clean up the crap. <laughs> right, <laughs> with with, and so we laugh. But like historically, you know, uh, when you look at the past, uh, you know, once these kind of were brought into a domestic uh, standard, whether it was like an artificial cavity that was man-made in some way, you know, stepping away from the traditional honey hunting of climbing trees and removing mm-hmm. them from wild cavities into domestic cavities. It was always the affluence um, or the people with power that actually kind of controlled and maintained the beehives, like the Roman Empire. When you were, you know, overtaken by the Roman Empire, a lot of the times they pay their tax in wax and honey in these regions. Um, and it was used as currency in a lot of areas. And even today, the Roman Catholic Church, if you go in uh, to like whether it's Passover or you go in at Christmas time, there will always be beeswax candles burning at the altars. And so the candlelight, like beeswax in particular, gives off a higher of light so mm-hmm. it gives off a more like sunlight in an indoor space back in the day when tallow and fat was burned and it gave off a really low poor frequency of light so also smells terrible have, like, smells terrible <laughs> produces a lot of smoke yeah you know but in the indoor space you can like pre you know have like sunlight at night indoors right and mm-hmm. so it was always like this kind of controlled livestock done by, you know, the powerful or the church or the clergy or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, you never saw, you know, your local priest, you know, out there slogging out uh, the pig pens, you know, yeah. <laughs> <those are> jobs <laughs> left to other people <laughs> and I think that's an appealing part too especially when you think thinking about an urban environment mm-hmm. or rural or hobby is the amount of um, gross work that comes with the beekeeping is very minimal and so that yeah. becomes appealing too is you can do it in slacks and
2: well I was and, gonna and say and I don't know them. my my trashed back after hauling around all those boxes to rearrange <laughs> them would probably beg to differ <laughs>
1: Well, I didn't say the job wasn't physical Savannah. I just said the job was not smelly.
2: the other thing i've I've been finding interesting is that people will conflate honeybees with native pollinators and other types of bees. And they're like, we need to save the bees. And I'm like, I mean, I mean, you probably don't need to save honeybees. I mean, they're not doing too poorly. <laughs> There's
1: a lot of them, yeah. And billions of dollars of investment going into their research because yes, our food systems yes. are dependent on them. Mm-hmm. How about we sit back and think about what about the tiny little fairy bees, little yeah. species that are the size of fruit flies that pollinate specialist plants yeah. in environments that may have a very little biodiversity because it's arid. Like mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. what about those poor little bees that you don't see or know about? Yeah, absolutely. There is no research money going into their protection or or habitat protection, you know, these sorts of conversations, I think, are extremely important. Yeah. But I think that these are the gateway bug to
2: <laughs> communicating that. The gateway bug, that's a new one. So yeah, yeah um, the gateway drug. That's really funny. But I mean, the more,
1: <laughs> the more you think about, once you start empathizing with one little critter, mm-hmm. like you can't, like, see the trees and not think of the forest right
2: exactly it's easier Um, to empathize and and become interested in other species and I feel like honeybees are I I love that I'm going to use that phrase the gateway bug because they're fuzzy and they're cute and they're usually very docile so and and they you know they they produce things that we find useful and we really appreciate and they're not scary looking and they're honestly I've actually converted a few people from being very afraid of buzzing insects and getting stung to not having a melt down anytime they hear something buzzing so they're really really nice that way so compared to other
1: critters (laughs) well and the big thing too is is um people once you learn a few unique things about these insects whether it's honeybees or bumblebees or some sort of solitary or native bee Mm -hmm. there's like this complete moment of awe and awe is this moment of both like being surprised at what you don't know mm-hmm. matched with this like fascination or inquisitiveness to learn mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. and that like sense of like m- feeling like the world is a miraculous
2: place yeah just that and curiosity think, that it starts bringing back to some people is is awesome to see so,
1: yes and so I think you know as soon as you learn a few things you kind of start to rabbit hole of like what wait what Mm -hmm. Not all bees produce honeycombs. They make these tiny little globulous waxen nests that live in like birdhouses. Like bees do that. And then you're like, they make nests out of, solitary bees can make nests out of flower petals. Right? Like you're like, wait, what? (laughs) It's so cool. (laughs) And it just like, it's like, it
2: just snowballs.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You get a taste
2: of it and you want to know more.
1: And they always, the other thing I always find that is, really alluring about about bees is that everything you learn about them, they all always come back to giving back more than they take. Mm -hmm. And I think in a society, in a world that we live in right now, I think a lot of people are feeling this strong desire to not necessarily getting what they want, Mm -hmm. which is like, I think like a eighties, nineties, like post second world war reality of like, Mm -hmm. I want to have it. I want to have it. This consumerism to like, transition in society where people are now just like how can I be responsible for what yeah. I do have yeah and that shift and so when you look around in your environment and you look around in societies and you're thinking about like what is going on in the world mm-hmm. and then you see these insects that always give back more than they take and they never take too much
2: well and they have these it's altruistic just... behaviors for their, for their hive mates and everything and they and they fit so nicely into ecosystems as well and they yeah. they play such but, an important role, and they benefit they benefit so many other organisms uh, through just existing and just being who they are, right? Yeah, they're enlightening. Mm-hmm. They're, that's the big thing is
1: is their their existence is enlightening that there is a potential for a social society like human beings to be able to at least do something more and just take without giving back.
2: I was out there in snow pants and the snow drifts, just like crouching watching my bees. And they'll actually go out and fly when there's snow on the ground. And even though I knew it yeah. was a thing, it was just it was bizarre to see it happen. <laughs> well, they do it to poop, right? Did you get yeah. pooped on? Remember I posted yeah. in our in our Facebook group I was like, look at this glorious sea of bee poop when we had that warm spell. <laughs>
1: Well, I guess uh, you now prove the history of beekeeping as not being a poopy event Has now been (laughs) disproved. If you go outside and lay in the snow when your bees are pooping, you too can be covered in poop. You too can be pooped Uh, on. (laughs) Yeah. But it's not common that you have to be a Savannah type of person to go out
2: (laughs) and do such
1: things. (laughs) (laughs)
2: That's what I like about it, too, is it's very accessible. So like you can I will have I've had people interested, like I'll just mention that I have bees and like even somebody who, you know, hates spiders, dislikes uh, centipedes and they think bugs gross them out. They'll still be interested and they'll still be like, Mm -hmm. despite themselves, they'll be like, that actually sounds kind of cool. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I think I think being a beekeeper can make
1: you the most popular person in a covid free room. <laughs> um, because I think it, and I think a lot of people, it's really meaningful for them too to have something to talk about that isn't, um, you know, the normal conversation piece mm-hmm. in a social environment. of mm-hmm. like, yeah, I have a job. Yeah. The weather is fine. Yeah. yeah. I am, or not married with children or not children. Yeah. Like, right. It becomes that like, I have a really cool hobby that you're also going to be interested in.
2: When people talk about hives being found or participating in a hive removal, they just they, they talk like kids on Christmas, like there was this wonderful present that was gifted to them and they love being a part of it. And I think it's really exciting and it's different. It's not something that happens to everyone. And so um, anybody I've talked to that's participated in a hive removal, they're, they're so excited to tell you the story of this time that there was you know, a, a bunch of bees found in their garage and they had to call in these people to rescue the bees.
1: Yeah, 100%. And like, I mean, with our. With our bumblebee rescue program that we ran, we actually had to cancel the program because we had people calling in and asking a lot of questions. What ended up happening is like 99% of people wanted to leave the bees in situ if they were native bees. Um, Because I think public awareness about the bees in general is higher and their value to the ecology of the environment. Mm -hmm. And there's also this sense of like, they chose us. We're so lucky. (laughs) You know, that like you're talking about these people have these memorable moments of where Nature kind of interrupted their business as usual, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's sometimes like it can be you know disappointing. Like, honeybees moved into my chimney, and now they're in my house every day because they keep coming through the flu. Um, <laughs> yeah, that can be disturbing. Um, I've done removals like that, but a lot of the times, so the bumblebee nests or the solitary bees in the chinks of brickwork or underneath steps or. Even honeybee colonies move, swarming and landing in the tree in their yard. Like there's this, you know, interruption of regular, planned programming to actually have this kind of um, communion with nature that was not prepared.
2: Well, and it's it's funny because some people are equal parts fascinated, but equal parts scared because <laughs> they they know that bees sting, and many people are afraid of stinging insects, um especially bees and wasps and things. And so uh, I think that's also why what ups the stakes a little bit is that they really like that this natural process is happening, but they're also kind of scared of it, <laughs> which which increases the thrill. I
1: mean, there's mm-hmm. a reason people rubberneck on the highway, right? Yeah, there's there's a part of us that likes the fear, too, Mm -hmm. especially when you're not actually in danger. You know, there's this idea that like, okay, there's a swarm of bees in our tree, in our front yard. This is so exciting because I'm in my house watching it through the front window. (laughs) You know, it's like seeing a giant grizzly bear a foot away from you is different than seeing a giant grizzly bear a foot away from you on the other side of your vehicle
2: exactly yeah yeah 100 percent. that's a good comparison yeah and so i think a lot of
1: times people get really excited but um the nice thing is too is a grizzly bear a foot away from you is far more dangerous than you know (laughs) even being within a foot of a swarm i mean i catch swarms regularly without any protective equipment on because Mm -hmm. they are in pursuit of a new um enclosed space for a nesting cavity for them to survive, you know the mm-hmm. coming ensuing winter. And so you know they are very focused on what's going on like like horses with blinders on when they're pulling, you know, a a load. And so they're really gentle. And so even if you are inquisitive and you're a savannah who's going to go (laughs) dig up green ants in in dirt piles at construction (laughs) sites, you may too be a person who approaches a swarm of bees in a tree and look closely at them. And Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, the danger toward uh, of you getting uh, seriously harmed by them, is very, very low.
2: Yeah. Very, very low. I think it's and really only if you have allergies to them that it might be more of a concern.
1: <laughs> well, and interestingly enough, you know, people commonly will say, I have an allergy to bee stings. And I say, well, bees or wasps? And they mm-hmm. say both. And the problem we have is, is most people, like if you do have an allergic allergy to Bees, you will not. It's very exceedingly rare that you would have an allergy to wasp stings mm-hmm. and vice versa because mm-hmm. wasp venom is more closely related to scorpion venom than it is to bee venom. Oh, interesting. They're totally different proteins. So when people say they're allergic, usually that does not mean they're having an anaphylactic response. Usually it means they swell up, it hurts, it itches, and they're miserable for a couple days. <laughs> and sadly, That is a common side effect of wasp stings. Mm -hmm. Honeybee venom is a lot less aggressive because they don't use their venom to hunt other insects, right? They get their protein Mm -hmm. from the pollen and their carbohydrates from the nectar. Versus wasps, um, they use their venom to hunt, to kill, to incapacitate. So their venom is very different than bumblebee or honeybee venom.
2: Yeah, those bald-faced hornets. Ugh, those guys are the worst.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny you say that. I actually love them so much. Oh, but Um, their sting is so bad. I know, but the tertiary predators, they're way less aggressive. They, they eat are. yellow That's jackets, true. they mm-hmm. eat ground-nesting wasps. Um, so I, I always, at the farm, we always had huge bald-headed hornet nests because I would encourage them. And <laughs> I will kill a yellow jacket nest way faster than a bald-headed hornet nest because I know the bald-headed hornets will take out the yellow jackets and they will take out the other... How to it to my daughter... Hyenas are yellow jackets, mm-hmm. way more unpredictable, more more aggressive, way more um, um, uh, opportunistic. Risky, opportunistic, great. <laughs> Versus bald-headed hornets have very few predators, and therefore they're more like lions. They're mm-hmm. strategic, and they are far more effective when they decide their strategy. I was going
2: to say, a lion bite's way bigger than a hyena bite, so makes sense. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> But it means that when you're having a picnic, um, you
1: know, if you have like a little bit of juice out or something, the ball in a hornet nest isn't going to come after that juice. It's not really the opportunistic site for food for them. Mm-hmm. They're more likely to like, um, you know, if there's like a dead chicken or something, like a roadkill, they can. <laughs> what t- kind they of can clean that of picnics do you go up. to,
2: Elise? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we only ever picnic near roadkill. That's kind of like <laughs> our family rule. You see that <laughs> That's animal, thing day. you do. Well, we found a dead porcupine a couple of days ago, and I pulled out my pliers. My leatherman oh and my daughter pulled out a whole bunch of quills. That's amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, we didn't have a picnic beside it, but she may have had a snack in her hand at the time.
2: She's <laughs> Right? Um,
1: <laughs> <Sparks>. But the, <laughs> <right? laughs> the bald headed hornets are really good at cleaning up things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're really good. Um, they're they're different in predatorial behavior, but this is where the diversity of our invertebrate population, mm-hmm, especially when it mm-hmm. comes to pollinators like hornets, pollinators like wasps, because they do pollinate. They do. Right? A lot of people
2: don't believe me, but it's true. I mean, they're not as efficient <laughs> as bumbles because they don't have that electrostatic force helping them out, but they do certainly pollinate. Yeah,
1: yeah explain the electrostatic uh, force you're talking about there. It sounds <laughs> like witchcraft.
2: It's not witchcraft. So bumblebees are, are they're covered in hair, but it's not actually hair. It's chitinous projections off of the exoskeleton. And what happens is as they fly through the air, they develop an electrostatic charge between them as they're like ruffling, like kind of like how like if you rub a balloon on your head and your hairs all stand on end, right? And so then by the time they land on a flower and the the pollen uh, settles on them or is around them, it'll actually magnetize and just like zip right to them and they get stuck to them. And so it's easier then to transmit larger volumes of pollen between flowers. So they're much more effective at pollination than, say, a wasp who is not covered in fuzz. But, I mean, a wasp is still going to get covered in some pollen. It's going to end up on their face, their mouth parts, their wings. So they are still serving that role. They're just not as like hyper-efficient at it compared to uh, bumblebees and honeybees.
1: a lot of people do have this like visceral memory or experience when it comes to bees whether it was a passive experience like observing for when you're a child or even as a uh, an adult like the bees moving flower to flower um, or it could be a more active experience, like observing a swarm land or mm-hmm. pass overhead, or bumblebees in your garage wall or inside your compost pile. Like mm-hmm. there's there's always these kind of moments of like interconnectivity with, with mm. uh, these pollinators that I think, you know, uh, everyone loves a good animal encounter story. <laughs> they right? do. And that includes insects because insects are animals. <laughs> well, this is why it shows that you... Are, like that you have now exists mm-hmm. is because everyone loves a good animal story mm-hmm. and learning about animals and uh, feeling like that they have a connection to them because we are so disassociated from nature. And the yeah. nice thing about bees and pollinators in general is they, they assimilate to urban environments extremely well, mm-hmm. especially when mm-hmm. we talk about solitary and native bees like bumblebees and leafcutter bees and mason bees. There's so many uh, uh, non-natural nesting potentials with all of the infrastructure that human beings are constantly creating.
2: And as long as there's and enough we, food, you know, why not? Well, and that's what I was going to say. Like, and we
1: love planting ornamental flower trees. We love planting mm-hmm. uh, nav- native and non-native plants in our gardens. We love irrigating and watering our garden Mm -hmm. so in areas like this year we had a really bad drought here in Alberta in urban settings like honey production was pretty darn good because we had all this irrigation um, and we also have like native and non-native plant species that can thrive in high heat environments so Mm -hmm. it's a it's an interesting kind of uh, situation where we see native species and non-natives, like honeybees are not native Mm -hmm. to North America. They were brought over with colonization, like also known as the white man's fly, right? Like we brought them with us, (laughs) but um, they're part of our landscape now. But it's so cool to see like native wild species thrive, Mm -hmm. like bats and birds. Like we we enjoy seeing them in our environments, Uh, especially when we know they're giving back and not just like, you know, like a, pack of coyotes taking out the cats in the neighborhood you know Mm -hmm. no one likes that story but you know if you're gonna have a uh, an apple tree in your yard and then you hear it buzzing in the summertime like there's there's a real sense of nature within a highly urban and dense environment
0: thank you for listening to the wild rose vet podcast if you like the show please leave us a five-star rating and a review and while you're at it why not tell your friends about us Subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you're listening to us right now. Check out the show notes to see where you can find us on social media, and for more information on the Doctor Savannah Wild Rose Vet Television Series, the Wild Rose Vet Podcast is hosted by Doctor Savannah House Smith, produced by Trent Wilkie, Shirley McLean, Dylan Wirtz, Tanya Konygoci,er, and Valerie oud Marchand. Recorded by. Ian Armstrong at Wolf Willow Studios with original music by Wayne Lavallee.